Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, good morning, Wildwood. It's good to see you all today, and I'm glad that we have another chance to open up God's Word together. Uh, If you've been around Wildwood the last year or so, you know we've been walking through the book of Romans. Some of you out there have probably said to someone in your group that you come to church with, I don't know if they know if there are any other books in their Bible than Romans. Uh, But we have been walking through the book of Romans, and it's because it's such a foundational book for us to understand all that God has done for us in Christ. And at Wildwood, we, we come to God's Word, and we want to read it and understand it, and so we've been walking through the book of Romans over the last number of weeks. And one of the things that we've seen as we've looked at the book of Romans, and the first 11 chapters of that book, is that we have been made ready in Christ that we have been forgiven of our sins. We have been reconciled to God. We have peace with Him. He has sent His Spirit to reside within us. He has adopted us as His children. We've seen a number of things that God has done for us in Christ to make us ready. And then as we've gotten to chapter 12 of the book of Romans, we have seen that the things that God has made us ready for, He wants us to do. He wants our lives to aim at certain things. He wants us to be pointed towards His purposes. For this reason, He has made us ready. And so we began a couple of weeks ago looking at the book of Romans in chapter 12 to see what our lives should aim at in the coming days. And one of the things that we saw is that our lives should aim at being a living sacrifice to God. Another thing we saw is that our lives should be transformed by the work of the Spirit, not conformed to the Spirit of this age. And then last week we saw that a life that is transformed by the Spirit is a life that does not think more highly of ourselves than it ought to think, but a life that serves others according to the gifts that God has given to us. Now, what's interesting is the Apostle Paul writes the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul also wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, the letter of 1 Corinthians. And in both Paul's letter to Romans and his letter to 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about spiritual gifts. And you know what Paul mentioned right after he talked about spiritual gifts in both instances? He talked about love. See, in in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about gifting. But what does Paul talk about in 1 Corinthians 13? If, if you've been to a wedding recently, you know, right? talks about love. And in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 8, he talks about spiritual gifts. But what does Paul immediately begin to talk about in chapter 12, verse 9? He begins to talk about love. And what Paul is really indicating to us is that there may be different gifts that all of us have, but when you peer into the life of a Christian... What you should see, a common denominator that you should see, is the common denominator of the agape love of Christ. Christian lives can look different, but they ought to be loving as Christ is loving. Now, we know this inherently to be true, right? We know this to be true. 
we would, we would surmise it as much. If I just asked you, you hadn't even read your Bible recently, what should be a characteristic of Christian behavior, many of you would have answered that we should be loving. You understand that because God is love. And it's something that is true of all Christians. As you peer into the life of a Christian, you should see the agape love of Christ. Now, maybe a, an example to help us understand this a little bit comes from windows. I, I don't know if you've recently purchased or ever had to buy windows for your house. But recently, Kimberly and I had some broken windows at our house that had to be replaced. And one of the things I found as we went to buy new windows for that house is that there's a lot more about windows than I ever knew. There's all these options and all these questions that come. Do you want it to be made of vinyl or wood? Do you, do you want it to have color on the inside or outside, same color, different color? Do you want there to be some kind of a grid inside the window? Uh, I don't even, there's a fancy name for it. I don't even know what it is now. If you want a grid in there, that, that's going to be another option you have to consider. There's all these different ways that you can specialize these windows. But there is something that every window has in common, glass that you can look through. If it doesn't have glass that you can look through, it's not a window, it's a wall, okay? Um, And in the same way, what Paul says, he says there are options that are different for different followers of Christ. Some are gifted with speaking gifts, some are gifted with serving gifts. But no matter what the gifts that God has given to you, when you peer into the life of a Christian, there is one common denominator that you ought to see, and that is the agape love of Christ. Now, what does that love look like? Well, that's what Paul describes for us in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 13. And so if you've got a Bible, take it out and open to Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. And when we see this, we'll we'll see a description of the love that characterizes a follower of Christ. Someone whose life is laid down before God as a living sacrifice, who is being transformed by the Spirit of God, will exhibit a kind of a love that looks like this. The Apostle Paul writes, this is what he says. He says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, in these few verses, we see a description of a spirit-transformed kind of a love. A kind of a love that should characterize the lives of those who have been transformed in Christ. So as we read through these today, there'll be a challenge to us, but they also serve as an evaluative step for us to see, does our lives look like this? Are we being transformed by the Spirit? If we are, this kind of a love will be evident. We may serve in different ways with different gifts, but this love is constant among each of us. Five different descriptors are given in these five verses about love. The first description of this transformed Christian love is this, that Christian love is real. We see this in verse 9, that Christian love is real. He mentions three things in verse 9, love is genuine, it abhors evil, 
and it holds fast to what is good. All of those under the banner of love being real. Now, most clearly that is seen in this first call that love is to be genuine. In the original language, the Apostle Paul writes, and literally what he says is, let love be without hypocrisy. Now, who were the hypocrites? Well, in the first century, the hypocrites were the actors. They were the ones who took a stage and played a part. And Paul writes to let us know that our Christian love is not a part that we play. It's something real, something genuine, something from the inside out, not a mask that we put on temporarily. John Stott says this of this use of, or description of love about being genuine. He says, the hypocrite was the play actor, but the church must not turn itself into a stage. For love is not theater, it belongs to the real world. Indeed, love and hypocrisy exclude one another. See, sometimes when we think about the Christian expression of love, we we think of it like a role that we have to play between 9.45 and noon. It's a mask that we put on when we enter. And we can play nicey-nicey from 9.45 to noon when we're in this room. But what happens when we go home? Does the mask come off? Are we a different person outside of here than we are in here? Paul writes and lets us know that the Christian life is a life that is marked by a love that is real. It is genuine. It is without hypocrisy. It is the same in this room and is the same in your living room and in your office at work and in the school classroom that you attend. It's the same in your small group as it is in your fraternity house bedroom or in your dorm floor. See, our love is to be without hypocrisy. We are to be genuinely expressing love, and that's possible for us, friends, because of what the Spirit of God has done on the inside of us. We love others not as a part that we play, because, but because of who we are. God has cleansed us. He has united us with Himself. He has given us His Spirit that is always and without ceasing loving others. And he wants to love others through us. We love them, however imperfect it might look. We love others as an expression of who we are, not as a part that we play. Our love is to be real. But not only that, but our love abhors what is evil. Now, what does that have to do with love? I mean, we don't normally think that that love hates. But that's what this says. It says that love hates something. What does it hate? It hates what is evil. The word abhor is the idea of repelling, like magnets pushing each other in opposite directions. Love hates certain things. What does love hate? Love hates things that hurts those it loves. Love hates things that hurts those it loves. Let me give you an example. If your spouse is an alcoholic, do you love alcohol? No, you hate it. Why? Because it hurts the one that you love. If you're a parent, and your child is addicted to drugs, do you love drugs? No, you hate them. Why? Because it hurts those that you love. If you've experienced an untimely death, do you love death? Oh, you hate it because of the the hurt that it causes. If, If you have a friend or somebody in your family who's struggling with a disease right now that is tearing them down, do you love that disease? Oh, you hate it. Why? Because it hurts those that you love. The, the, the evil of this world, we are to hate because it is hurtful. 
to those that we love. Our love is to be real. It's not just a sentiment. It's not just something on a greeting card. It impacts what we love and what we hate. As believers in Christ, we abhor what is evil. We hate what is evil. Love has a component of hate to it. But not only that, not only are we supposed to abhor what is evil, but this real love that is genuine also holds fast to what is good. The word abhor means to repel, but the word hold fast is the word for glue. Glue it together. We are to glue ourselves to that which is good. Paul talked about this in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 when he says, whatever is good, whatever is noble, think on these things. See, when love permeates the relationships around us, we glue ourselves not to those around us failures, but to what God is doing in their hearts and in their lives. Love and grace, they're, they're like what lubricates our relationships. Relationships without love are like a car without oil. It will eventually burn itself up. But a genuine love, a real love, is a love that hates that which is hurting those that we love, and it's a love that clings to that which is good. A transformed Christian love is a love that is real. But he goes beyond that. A transformed Christian love is a love that is relational. We see this in verse 10. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. Now that's a combination of two different expressions that have similar ideas. It's talking about a relational family kind of a love. Uh, Two expressions, one that is family devoted and the other that is family love. When you gather together as groups of believers, we ought to have an expression of community among us that is a familial kind of a love. We're to have a real affection for one another. We are devoted to one another as you are to your family because of what God has done for us in Christ. Now, a couple of thoughts about that. On one side, that ought to be greatly encouraging to anyone who comes from a family that is broken, to anyone that comes from a family that is breaking, to anyone that that comes from a situation where they have no family. You know, you look around and everybody else seems to have those that love them and care for them, but you feel isolated and abandoned today. See, when we see this, it reminds us that if we know Christ, we are a part of a family that is devoted and loves one another. It's called the body of Christ, the church. We are united inside of that family. Our relationships with one another should should look like that. And that would be an encouragement to us. But here's the reality. Does that sound hard to you? It feels a little hard, doesn't it? Sometimes we, we, we think about that and we think, okay, we're supposed to have this family kind of a love, but I look around and I don't know these people. I feel like I'm at somebody else's family reunion, not mine. If this is a family, whose family is it? Sometimes we struggle with feeling like that, right? I mean, today alone, there's going to be some 1,500 people that will be at Wildwood in one way, shape, or form this morning. Um, And sometimes we think, wow, how in the world can we be like a family when there's that many people? I mean, the reality is that's more people than you can personally connect with. So what does it look like for us to have this kind of devotion to one another, this kind of feeling for one another? Well, one of the things that happens is I think that we need to remember that we need to find a a 
spot within this community where we can connect with others. A women's Bible study or a Bible Institute class or a small group, an adult fellowship group on Sunday morning, student ministry, small groups, a college life community to be a part of. See, we need to find a place where we can be known and where we can know others because the reality is that we'll never know 1,500 people the way at the same level. That's a, just something that won't happen. But, you know, the same thing is true of my family. When I go to the Robinson family reunion, there'll be 150 Robinsons there. You know how many of them I'm really, really close with? Not 150. Some of them may listen to the podcast. I'm not going to name names, all right? Um, but it's just the reality, right? But my sister and her family and my parents, I'm, I'm closer to them because of life and experience and time together. I can be a part of the big community. I enjoy the reunion, but I need to have a team. Same thing is true inside the church, friends. Who's your group? Who are you with? Who do you know and who knows you? Where you can express this kind of family devotion and family love. If you're looking for some of that, there's opportunities throughout our gathering hall to find out about small groups or women's Bible study or different events in your bulletin. Every week we list a number of those. We have a group launch event coming up on September 11th if you're looking to connect. Starting point class starts the same day. All of those, the information is in your bulletin. They're all there intentionally because we are a part of a church that has a family-devoted, family-love connection. And because it is a family that we're a part of, uh, we shouldn't be surprised that the next thing he mentions is honor because honor is something we do within our families. We honor our parents. Our, Our parents provide for us in different ways. There is honor, mutual honor that is extended inside of our immediate families, and there is a mutual honor that is extended inside the church. The phrasing here is outdo one another in showing honor. It could either be translated that way or it could be translated placing others first. The the, the point of both of those translations is the exact same. The point is that we should have an attitude in the church that seeks not to honor ourselves, to gain honor for ourselves, but to honor others. When you gather here on Sunday mornings, what is your perspective? When you gather in your small group, what's your perspective? Is it, how can I make them think I'm cool? How can I make them think I've got it all together? Or is it real and relational? How can I seek to honor others today? This is a challenge for all of us, me included. You see, our transformed Christian love, it's real and it's relational. And it's also active. It's also active. Verse 11 makes this clear with a trio of statements. Paul says, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. This idea of slothful in zeal is the idea of waning in our enthusiasm, falling off of the pace. It's something that's possible for us to do as we seek to serve others, isn't it? We get excited on the front end, but It's easy for us to trail off as time moves along. Now, we get excited for our serving opportunity, and many of you uh, serve inside of our children's ministry, and that's a wonderful investment, and we're so thankful that you do that. But, you know, when you go to children's ministry training and you sign up, you get really fired up for serving. And that, that first week you show up, and the juice is poured before the kids ever make it in there, and the papers are on the table, and you're excited, and you're prepared, and you're ready to go. But what happens on that random Sunday in mid-November? It's possible for the zeal that you had at the front end to begin to wane. Through fatigue and distraction, it's just easy to lose your way, isn't it? 
It's true for all of us. Give you a, a picture of what that maybe looks like. I, uh, my family next Saturday is all three of us, for the first time, we're going to be running in the Brookhaven Run. That's a 5K race here in Norman. And all three of us are going to show up, we're going to go to the start line, and we're going to take off to run a 5K. Now, here is something uh, that I know is going to happen. When we get up to that line to run that race, my nine-year-old son is going to start out faster than me. He is going to be well ahead. But I also know this, I will catch him at the first intersection. Um, Because his enthusiasm at the start will be met with the reality that his legs are half as long as mine. Um, It's not his fault, it's just biology, okay? Um, and, And that's just the way that it goes, and here's the thing, that, that's, that's not just true of him, it's true of me. You know, I promise you, I'll look good at the start line, and I'll probably look good at the end line, but don't catch me in the middle, um, because it's, it's going to be ugly out there at some point on that, on that uh, three-mile race. That's what happens in our life. We, we start well, but then we grow weary and tired. The same thing happens in our serving. You know, we talk about being, you know, welcoming and greeting to those around us, and, and we, we talk about that, and right after that message is over, we'll pop up, we'll say hello, we're excited to see the people around us, but, you know, there's going to come a time in a few weeks where you're not going to feel like doing that. It's, you're going to be tempted to, as in the language here, to grow slothful in your zeal, to fall off the pace. It's just possible. So how do we, how do we avoid that problem? Well, he gives us an idea. He says that we are to be fervent in spirit. Now, in the original language, this is a beautiful picture. It's the idea of bubbling over, that the, the spirit will bubble over out of us is the idea. Remember, what happened to us when we came into a relationship with Christ was that the spirit of God came to reside within our lives. That means that as we set out to serve, we have more than just getting fired up at the initial starting blocks, but we have the Spirit of God that is always present within us, that is able to do in and through us what we cannot do on our own. The Spirit of God literally wants to bubble out of us and flow the love of God out of us as a blessing to others. Why is it that we can peer into the Christian life and have the expectation of seeing the love of Christ? It's because the Spirit of Christ resides within our lives. And because the Spirit is there, we have the opportunity to have it bubble over and bubble out. As we begin to be tempted to grow slothful in our zeal, friends, remember the power source within us. Rely upon the Spirit of God and allow Him to do through us what is impossible otherwise. Bubbling His fruit to the surface, love included. Last thing he says there is that we are to serve the Lord. We're to be active in our love as we serve the Lord. Well, what does, what does that refer to? You know, it's a reminder that as we serve, we serve the Lord as, as a primary indication uh, who we're primarily serving. You know, sometimes when we serve, uh, we, we really serve and we, we get excited when somebody comes and tells us we're doing a good job. And when that happens, um, we get a little motivation to come back the next week. Um, But as as we serve, our primary motivation should not be for the attaboy. Now, make no mistake, if you are teaching, if you have a a child who's in our children's ministry or a student in our student ministry, and you see God doing something in their life through that, by all means, go to that teacher and encourage them. 
Because we want that kind of encouragement, right? It's, it's part of us being a family and devoted to one another. But here's the thing. We don't serve so that somebody else will tell us that. We serve because at the foundational level, we are serving the Lord. Our lives are a living sacrifice before Him. So that whether we get the attaboy or not, we know that we are serving the one who is over all things. We know that we're serving the Lord. There's a temptation when you preach. You come up here and you, you pour out into this passage and then you, you walk off the stage and somebody will, who wasn't here will go, well, how did it go? And I, my answer is always the same. I said what I planned to say. And sometimes I, you begin to evaluate whether it was good or bad based on how many emails you got in either direction. Friends, I, that's not the point. The point is to serve the Lord. That's who we serve. That's how we carry on and not lose our fervency. Our love is to be active. Our love is to be real, relational, active. It's also to be hopeful. It's to be hopeful. Verse 12 makes this clear. It talks about rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, and constant in prayer. It is very difficult for us to love others if we have no hope. Because if we have no hope, we begin to get despondent. And, and what is the great enemy of hope? Our life experience, friends. I mean, the enemy can use it, but it's our life experience. We go through our lives and we have lots of things that feel hopeless. We turn on the news, it feels hopeless. We, we relate with our friends and, and the challenges and the things that are going on, and sometimes it just feels hopeless. How do we as believers in Christ continue to love? Well, it begins with us understanding a hope for a life that goes beyond this one. See, for us to, to have a hope, for us to be able to rejoice, for us to be patient in the midst of tribulation, we must have a perspective that goes beyond this life. We must have an alien hope founded in something outside of this world. And friends, as believers and followers of Christ, we have exactly that. God has promised us great, great things. He has promised to, to take us into his presence forever. To, to a place where there, there is no more sorrow, no more disease. That's where he's promised to take us if we know Christ. And because of that, we can rejoice and we can have hope today that will allow us to be able to continue to love others well. We can be patient in our tribulation, knowing that it's only a short time that we're going through this challenge or this struggle. And we can be constant in prayer. Now, what is prayer's connection to this? You know what I found is that people who pray are more hopeful because prayer connects us to a new reality. Now, this Wednesday night, we have this family night that's happening here at Wildwood. If you've got kids, you ought to come. It's a, it's a great time. We'll be here in this room. I'm going to be teaching at that time, but I'm going to be sharing the, the teaching time with a couple of friends of mine, Ryan Eshelman and Doug Cook. Now, as we were preparing for um, that time on Wednesday night, we decided to have a phone call last Thursday to kind of get on the same page. And so we were all three in different places. 
All three driving our cars, all three connected with the magic of these cell phones. And we're having a conversation about Wednesday night. Now, even though I was driving down Robinson Street on a Thursday, I was in this room on Wednesday night in that moment. Sounds dangerous, right? Um, but that's, that's where my mind was, where my, my heart was. I was envisioning this place. We were talking about the reality of what Wednesday was going to be like, and we were talking about it together. You realize when we are constant in prayer, that's where we, where we find ourselves? We are thinking about and relating about a reality beyond this room. We're talking to the God who is sovereign over all things. And as we connect with him, we're reminded of the reason for our hope, and we can rejoice and we can be patient knowing who he is and what he's done for us. You see, our love, our transformed love in Christ, it's hopeful. What's your, what's your prayer life like? If you find yourself hopeless today, there's a direct line between hope and prayer. It connects us with a reality that we don't see. The fifth thing we see in this section is that to transform Christian love, it is generous. It's generous. Verse 13 lets us know this. Paul writes and says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. These are two different commands that talk about the generosity of God's people. We are to be a generous people. Why? Because the love of Christ resides within us. And we know a generous God. And it ought to impact the way that we relate to others. This first part of it of being generous to the needs of the saints or to our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's, it's talking about uh, us being generous with those inside the church. We help with the physical needs of those around us. Now, I just have to tell you this. This is something that I have had the privilege of seeing Wildwood live out in very many ways. You know, I just asked our, our office manager this last week, um, to, to share with me the number in the last year um, that was given to members of Wildwood to help with physical needs. Um, unsolicited in most instances, but just given through Wildwood to help people's needs. That, that number was $90,000. And that's just what we know about. See, friends, as we connect inside of this family, as we're devoted to one another, God will motivate us that our material possessions are not just ours. They're not just for me. We can share them as a blessing with others. That's something that the love of God is doing through each of you as you gather together. You share the burdens and the needs of others. It's not just that way through through money, but it's also that way through assistance in other ways. Uh, many of you who own a pickup know this. This is the verse people want to quote to you when they need to move on Saturday. Hey, be generous with the needs of the saints. Can I borrow your pickup? Um, but we can, right? We, we, we can be generous with others, sharing what we have for the common good. Not only that, but we're to seek to show hospitality. This is the idea of being loving to strangers, people that we don't know. This is a, something that would have been important in the first century at a time when there weren't hotels like we know them, and the hotels that did exist were not places that people 
would want to stay. They were, they were challenging and they were tough. And so as Christians would travel around the Roman Empire, there would be an opportunity for them to stay in the home of others in order to, 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 to stay when they were out away from their, from their community. And I think about what that looks like for us here at Wildwood. It, I, I see a similar thing taking place. I mean, we have this thing called Adopt the Sooner program where families can adopt an OU student, um, not officially, not formally. You don't get their tuition bill, but you ad- adopt them by having them into your home just to spend a little time with you once a month, get to know them, take them out to lunch. Connect. What, what, what is that? That's hospitality, showing hospitality to somebody that you don't know because of our connection in Christ. So the same thing happened over the summer when we had uh, Pine Cove Camp in the city here and, and 50 plus counselors came to town. And so many of you opened your homes up to house them and to feed them. All those things were an opportunity for us to show hospitality to those in need. Uh, our, our food and shelter team that serves lunch once a month is an opportunity to show hospitality to others. We are showing a love to people that we don't already know. You see, the, the love of Christ ought to be visible when you peer into the life of a Christian because our lives are transformed by his spirit. They're real, relational, active, hopeful, and a generous kind of a love. When you think of your life, is it marked by these things? If you know Christ, guess what? It's in you. It's in you. And God wants to produce these things through you as you're dependent upon him. Now, I want us to end our service today by celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And, and again, the Lord's Supper is a, uh, an expression, a symbol, where we take bread and we take a cup, reminders of the body and the blood of Christ that were shed for us, and we partake of those elements as a reminder of all that Jesus has done for us. Jesus came and died on the cross as an expression of love for you and for me, and we remember that expression of love as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today. Now, as we are passing these elements, and if you know Christ, we invite you to take the elements as they're passed, but hang on to them. As you are taking those elements and grabbing them, we're going to have the words of 1 Corinthians 13 sung for us. And remember, when the gifting was talked about earlier, we talked about how Immediately after that, Paul talked about love. Well, we're talking about love here today, and I want us to reflect on the words of 1 Corinthians 13. And I'll also read some scripture for us as well. Um, But as the elements are being passed, I invite you to, to grab them and hang on to them, and then we will stand and partake of them together after the song is over. So let me pray for us as we prepare. Father, thank you for the opportunity to worship together today. Thank you for the privilege of this gift of communion The bread and the cup reminding us of the love of Christ demonstrated when he gave his body and his blood for us. And Father, I pray that you would encourage us today through this example and through this reminder to see your love flow through us in our relationships with each other as we lay our lives down as a living sacrifice before you. We thank you now and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Invite the communion to be passed. Love does not bone 
Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Love will sustain. Love will provide. Love will not cease at the end of time. Love will protect. Love always holds. Love still believes when you do. Love is the arms that I. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. My heart won't make a sound When I can't turn back around When the sky is falling down Nothing is greater than this Greater than this Love is right here Love is love Love is the way, the truth, and life. Love is a river that flows through. Love is the arms that are holding you. And love is a place 
please stand? And so we take the bread, a symbol of the body of Christ, which is broken in love for you. Partake of the bread. We also take the cup, a symbol and a reminder of the blood of Christ, which is shed for you in love. Father God, thank you for the love that you have shown us that makes it possible for us to be yours, but also makes it possible for your love to flow through us. Father, may we be a people marked by love that when you peer into our lives, the love of Christ would be seen because it is bubbling over as a product of your spirit. We thank you, Father, and we pray, thanking you for the opportunity you've given us to worship together today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.